Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily. How are you today? Hey, 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 Michelle. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'm good. Surprise, yeah. surprise, surprise. I know. I'm back from vacation. Yes. Which, of course, we had, had a little tint. I, have a, I do. Despite my SPF 50. It's not red or anything. It's a nice glow. It's I like a little, a little little sun kiss little, there. Yeah. Yeah, no. It was great. It was a wonderful, relaxing time with my, our, you know, my good friend, Julie, yes. which you got to meet on yes. our time of the month show. Yes. And uh, so I'm feeling very rejuvenated. I'm like ready to take on the world all over again. Yeah. And with a fresh new perspective. So nice. nice. What about you? Oh, well, I'm just back from a, a little quick trip to New Orleans over the weekend. And I, like yourself, am rejuvenated. And it was. I, I couldn't have asked for a better a better weekend. I went down to see a college friend of mine um, get married to somebody else. And I, yeah. I was joking with some of the people uh, at the wedding. And I was like, well, I was in the first wedding. You know? oh. <laughs> I was a bridesmaid in the first wedding, but not the second wedding, which is totally fine. I, yeah. yeah but, what um, were you wearing in that first wedding? Oh, because, you know, bridesmaid dresses. Bridesmaid dresses 30 years ago. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so it was uh, it was a green. I was going to say, was it teal or green? <laughs> it was a green, um, um, closer to like the Kelly green, mm. but not Kelly, not... Um, Irish. And it was a two-piece, so, you know, had the long skirt mm-hmm. that was, you know... Yeah. Typical A-line kind of. whatever. And yep. then it had like the bigger, um, puffier sleeves. sleeves and, and then a, then a like a crisscross. And um, my uh, my friend's sister had to like add extra hooks because I was just like billowing out of my boobs. <laughs> 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 you go down the aisle like this. Mm-hmm. No one's going to be looking at uh, at the bride. So, <laughs> so they fixed all that up. And I, I held on to that bridesmaid's dress for, you know... Mm, 20 years before I finally said, I can donate this to you. I'm not going to wear it. You know, my body Mm -hmm. has changed since then. And uh, um, not that it wasn't an elegant dress that I could have worn to some other function, but I think you might need a few more class on the billowing of the bus, maybe some letting out (laughs) in the, uh, in the skirt, in the hips area. But uh, it was, it was beautiful. My daughter, Megan went with me and it was just lovely to, to be out, we had fabulous weather too, and the jasmine was in full bloom, so it just smelled oh. fant- fantastic in New Orleans. And um, it was the people were happy, and we went down to the Bourbon, to the French Quarter on Bourbon Street, yeah. saw folks dancing together, and it just after. This last year, it was yeah. definitely lovely to be rejuvenated, rejuvenated, and around people just enjoying being. A- alive, you know. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, well, was... I know our guest that we're talking with today has also just had a, her first social experience. And so, so well, let's bring our guest, yeah. Bridget Renee, on. Um, hi. hi, Bridget. Hi, thank you for having me. Welcome to Clearly Speak of the Podcast. Thank you. My <laughs> first podcast. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, we popped our chair. That is something you lucky girls do. Write that down. I need a momentous occasion. Yes, yes. Bridget Renee is, we got connected with her through our mutual friend, Julie George. And Bridget is a professional. Coach, she's a corporate corporate trainer. She's an author. She's curriculum developer, courses creator. But uh, she has coming up pretty soon a a new book out. And is it your first book? It's the first one that I've published. Yes. The first published book, and it is called uh, The BS of Better. Which got our attention right away. We're like, who is this person that Absolutely. wrote a book called The BS of Better? And, uh, yes. and other limiting language. Because, you know, Emily, yeah. we don't like to limit ourselves. Oh, We've grown so much in our podcast. Haven't And we? the words that we choose. Every drink we drink, we grow a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not we grow We grow in knowledge and strength. Yes. We don't grow tiresome. We no, don't grow weary. No. Any of those things. We're definitely growing. And we've, I mean, I know that I've learned a lot in the last several oh years. Gosh. And so to come across 
Bridget and, you know, what she focuses on, I thought we have to have her on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. That makes, sure. makes perfect sense. Is there, so, is there anything you want to add to that real quick brief bio that people should know about you before we really get to know you? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I do want to say what I really like about you guys, though, is that I've heard you in because I've listened to some of your some of your speaking. And one of the things that I was catching on to is you talk about maturing mm-hmm. and and evolving. And I think that's really important. That's a really a very important thing for us to hold on to as a society right now is yeah. just the evolution of our lives as individuals and in our culture. And so I, I like your perspective on that. Oh. So I was really interested in, you know, kind of following you guys a little more. Oh, thank well, you. Yeah. Th- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It seems to fit right in with your life's mission too. As a coach, you are there to help people evolve into who they can become, right? Well, my sole objective as a coach is to reduce life's pressures. Mm-hmm. I have a, a nice, pretty nice life because I don't allow a lot of pressure and I'm very in tune with myself. And whenever those feelings start coming up that indicate something's going on, I can assess them and process them Pretty, pretty quickly because I've been doing it for a long time. Now, was this something you were born with? Or I did was you develop just that? gonna ask that. I'm like, has it always been this way? <laughs> uh, no, and I will say I'm going to continue evolving and maturing until mm-hmm. I'm at least a hundred. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know, and um, it's definitely been a process. Hmm. I'd be interesting in learning a little bit about like what was an impetus for you to go from you know well, where, to make that statement that exactly, declaration that, of that you know no I, pressure or I'm going to right live a, a as much of a pressure free pressure free life as possible like what caused that yeah so my commitment to reducing life's pressures I, I think everything starts in the mirror first of all so if I'm going to make a commitment to let's say, assisting in or facilitating someone else in reducing their own pressures, I'm going to have to figure that out in the mirror first. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's my first commitment there. So uh, how, the spark of that was meeting hundreds and hundreds of clients, sitting across from them, them feeling broken, like they're not enough. The language that they were using, I have thousands of files from hundreds of clients week after week, session after session. I saw patterns in their language that said, I'm not enough. I need to be better. And it just represented to me that we're inundated with this need for Mm self-improvement. And it just creates such pressure in our culture, in in our individual lives, in our families, in our jobs, you know, personally and professionally. And I think the kicker for me, I sat across from an executive in in a private session with a man. Um, I was doing corporate corporate training, and I had individual sessions with each of the executives. And I sat across from him, and he said to me, with tears in his eyes, just big mm-hmm. tears mm-hmm. rolling down his face, um, Bridget, do you really think I'm okay? And mm-hmm. I just thought, I am done with this. Like, this man has all the degrees. He he followed all the Sunday school material. You know, he, he's married to, to one woman. He's a faithful father, uh, takes good care of his health. He He's checked all the boxes. And he's sitting across from me saying, do you really think I'm enough? Mm. It, it's ludicrous what we allow. Yeah. So I, my thought goes to what was his, what language did his parents give him? Mm-hmm. You know, because if you, I mean, if you think, as an as a grown person, if he's asking, "Am I enough?" That has to come from a, a, a place of the inner child who probably, for many many years, was told, "You're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that." Or even even just small little slights can we might think that they're small, but they are huge to a, a developing child or a developing person. So mm-hmm. my that's where I would have gone, um, or would that's where my brain goes with that statement, but he's, he is, I mean, but whose checklist is it? Whose checklist is it really? (laughs) That's one of the questions I usually ask. Who, who says, who says that this is, you know, correct or right, or this is, this is the path, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the BS of Better program is really about identifying that, you know, what is self 
what does authenticity look like mm-hmm. as an individual? Because I think for me as an individual woman, if I look at either one of you with an expectation, uh, with my limited idea of what is correct or rightness, and I impose an expectation on you, if my desire to be correct is more important than my desire to be respectful and treat you as as an equal human being, mm-hmm. then I have failed somewhere in my mind. So it's beyond the authenticity that you're talking about. It's also about having the the right intention. Yeah. And and I, I don't like the word right. <laughs> okay. Because who defines right? Right. So okay. if you and I are sitting down at a table and we say, well let's make sure we go into this meeting with the right intention. Okay, so what's another word you would use? What's another? How would you rephrase that concept? That's a great question. So I think I would say, Emily, what works for you? What would work for you if we were going to sit down and have a safe conversation where you felt safe to engage and participate, where we could actually connect and collaborate? Mm-hmm. What would that look like for you? What does that environment look like? And then I would want to listen to you. And that's what I want to bring to the table. And and I can't demand that you do the same, mm. but I I think that we can train one another how to respect ourselves. You know, I I respect myself and I give respect to other people. And I think that within itself opens an atmosphere of respect. I've I've heard there's lots of books out there, how to demand respect, you know. Right. Get the respect you deserve. Right. I I don't again, know that that's, that's it's not a, something you demand. That's something very that's again forceful language that's imposing your will or your expectations and your ideas onto others what theirs what theirs should be. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of a language. When you say, um, you know, I would listen to you and how, what would make what would work for you, um, and I would respect you. I it feels like you have to take to. And have to and just and all those things are again very very directed language, but um, it appears that one to be successful or to get the most out of it, you have to sort of take your ego and put it to the side if you truly want to collaborate. Am sure. I am I making sense here? No, it does. Okay. I, I I I and I completely agree with you okay. on that as an approach. I just. I I question how many people are truly there, capable of saying, I'm going to enter this conversation putting me aside. And, uh, you know, I, we've all talked about it through so many conversations of being well, I think people are capable, bullied, being, they, you know. Do they choose to, whether they choose to make that decision to... Or it's probably subconscious that they don't make that decision to put or to move the ego aside to say, when I enter in this conversation, I really want to know what will work best for you as opposed mm-hmm. to, so guys, we're going to get together and um, what works best for me <laughs> I is know. some very, very cold bubbles and I would like uh, three different types of cheeses. And if somebody could get the guy to do rub my feet while we're talking, then okay, I so, think now I've established my parameters. So you had definitely demonstrated an extreme circumstance, I'm tra- right? Yeah, of course, of but, course. But there are so many, like we are all um, victims, quote unquote victims of our own circumstances. So we approach conversations, relationships, uh, uh, dynamics, culturally, uh, socially, all these ways we come into a situation informed with our own experiences, right? That's part of, that That also plays into our ego, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you just say, okay, all that has to go aside, it's not going to play anymore. And every, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm just, this is like, what are the tools? How do you do this? Because we all have our own set of ideas about what interaction should look like based on what's coming at you. And based on what you've experienced before. Mm-hmm. And what my takeaway so far in the conversation is, is that some of the some of that language and those experiences that we've had before have not actually helped us or served us holistically. Yeah. You know? Sure, and have left a CEO wondering if he's he was enough enough. Yeah, 
You know? I think part of the problem is we as a society, as as we're training our children, we're not training them necessarily um, developing their cognitive abilities to think for themselves. Oh, that's or so training true. them the right thing to do. And I'm not suggesting that that's a bad thing per se. Obviously, we don't want our children playing in the street. They might get ran over. So there are some absolutes, but most things in life are subjective. And I think one of the largest challenges that we have as adults is being able to identify what is that limiting language, which mm-hmm. is what the BS of Better program does. It helps participants identify what some of the limiting language is, where it comes from, and alternatives to the language. Give us some examples. Um, You said victim. Mm -hmm. So there's a chapter on victimization language. Okay. What does that sound like? And then there's an alternative to, in, in lieu of, Oh, I tried that. You know, I it it didn't work for me. You mm-hmm. know, there there's lots of language that we use that's from a victimization mindset, right? So sure. Every language that we use stems from some form of mindset, which comes from a belief. So the BS of Better program explores all of the dynamics there, and then we dive into what's an alternative. So the alternative is if I'm not going to choose a mindset of victim mentality. Um, I have a choice. What does it look like when I make a choice that's responsible and powerful in this moment? Instead of, I couldn't, I tried to, I didn't mean to, it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. I tried that already. Instead of that, that's victimization language. There's an alternative. I understand that. Okay, this is where we are now. What does responsible look like just in this moment? How do you define responsible? Not me. Because mm-hmm. I don't know what your responsible looks like. How does powerful look like in this moment? What are your options? So there's there's alternative languages and thoughts that we're just not taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, especially when you start applying that to, you know, um, people who are in careers that are non-traditional for, you know, for their gender role. Things like that, you know. We we've we we have a conversation coming up with a an amazing female chef that's like totally, you know, making amazing things happen. But she is a female in a male's environment, you know, and that comes with its own set of dynamics that are what what is in the industry commonly known as, um, you know own limiting terms because she's a female, you know, or, you know, there's countless, countless examples of industries where they're, you know, more known for a certain um, type of characteristics. Yeah, I think what's I'm finding fascinating in this conversation is the, is that the thought of not being taught at an early age or a teenage age or a 20, you know, throughout our lives of the alternatives to the limiting language, that there are alternatives. So when we, when we know that, when we become aware of that, and sometimes there's a crisis that happens in your life that you're suddenly, you know, you've read all the self-help books that are out there. You're, you, you, know, you haven't lost the 50 pounds. You haven't, you haven't, you know, f- achieved financial freedom, although you've followed every step, uh, whatever it is that you, you know, you're trying to do on your, on your self-help journey because you thought you needed to be better than you are. And then like to learn that there's, I, I am enough. And I can choose differently. And then that takes that takes a lot of to me, it takes a lot of the the anxiety and angst and uh, uh, disappointment in your life away because you, you know, and I am speaking like generally, and I'm not yeah. and everybody has uh, their own experiences. But I think that learning, learning at any point in time in your life like that's what's the what's the meme how many days old were you when you learned such and such you know and Mm -hmm. and the answer is like I was this many days old when I learned that alternative alternative language to the the 
the indoctrination that we have had as women. I, I, I would I, I know that because you know that's what I've grown up in, but I would also venture to say that there's limiting language that has been indoctrinated into my sons and into I'm my sure. you know uh, you know you have to male be friends you have to and, be tough. You right. have to be right. All of these things. Yeah. We can train our children. We I have three daughters and two sons, and two of our daughters are in a male dominated industry, and so they have no problem. Um, standing up and mm. and saying, this feels uncomfortable. That's not appropriate. Don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done it and they will continue to do it because when they were little, we didn't say to them, your teacher is right. Listen to your teacher. Right. If an adult says something to you, they're right because the adults in our life are not necessarily right. Yeah. Everything's sure. dependent upon context, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we know that murder is not is not a good thing. It's never appropriate. It's never right. healthy, right? But in certain context, is it the mm. is it the choice to make? Um, mm. So I, I'm not certainly not promoting death, but what I'm saying right. is that context has a lot to do with the final outcome of things. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we can teach our children that. Let's mm-hmm. explore what are all the possibilities and let's talk about it. It's like what you're saying, teaching them to think, you know, understand scenarios and that there are, there are circumstances and, you know, how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. And perspectives, you know, we, mm-hmm. we talk about better, the, mm-hmm. the word better. Well, why isn't good enough? Does it have to be better or why not make it superlative best? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, is there any relevance to that? Is there any relevance to the term best? Well, who's measuring best? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that I struggled with this with my kids uh, uh, when they were growing up. I would say, I, I need you to clean your room. And um, one, of, one of my kids would come back and I was like, it, it, he would come out and he would say, so is it good enough? Is the is the clean is what he did in the room good enough? And I I felt like this conflict of like why what what am I what am I missing and instilling in him that he would just want to be the best right? But now talking to you, I'm like oh, but that's my version of the best. And he's trying he was trying to figure out if what he did, although it would have been good enough for him, right? Was it did it fit my idea? Yeah. And uh, and I was like trying and trying to st- figure out like why can't why doesn't he just naturally want to um just do it do it over overachieve the first time because that's where I came from because that's where I got my add a girl you know superlatives mm-hmm. and stuff like that because of achieving high you know like best grades I could mm-hmm. get you know right uh things of that you know <laughs> top of the class Top of the class, things of that nature. So someone taught you that. So that's what makes sense to you. Right. And I'm thinking, I have failed because obviously I haven't taught him that. Um, (laughs) Well, welcome to the world of motherhood because we've all failed. (laughs) And we will continue to do so. (laughs) He's he's much older now, but this was why I just remember this being a, a, a constant theme between the two of us. His thing was, is it good enough? I'm like... Are you happy? I mean, I I wanted him to just. What want, do you think? I wanted him to take in my mind, take pride in ownership, you know, and like really show it off or whatever it was. But you know, cleaning the bedroom was not something that really mattered to him. So he only did what he, what he needed to do to up, appease me mm. and my expectations, yeah. my checklist on his life. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's a little mm-hmm. aha moment there for me, sharing it with the with our listeners. Nice. <laughs> wow. Well, while you're having your aha moment, perhaps we should talk a little bit about what has helped to you mm-hmm. know percolate that aha sure. moment. We are enjoying some bubbles today, yes. and uh, we're going back to you know something that we we find a. a kind of a family favorite here at Clitterly Speaking. We went to Gruway and um, got a Blanc de Noir, which uh, we've we've had this a few times. And of course, 
I recorded on one of our live shows. I was at the winery. Yes, yes. Um, wonderful domestic, sparkling, very true to method, uh, very true to champagne style. It's method de champagne. And, you know, this just always delivers for us. Yeah, it really does. You know, it's got a, a, a lovely color. Mm-hmm, um, it does. You're I, right about that. Uh, yeah. It, it's definitely got a, a warmth does it have, like a, to it. Yes. A little bit of a, yeah, slight. Not quite amber, but it's got a warmth to the yeah. hue, and um, and you know it's just nice and crisp, tiny bubbles. It's got that kind of Granny Smith apple on the palate, and a slightly honeyed finish. Mm-hmm. It's just very. This is this is what I like to drink on it any given day, <laughs> especially on a, on a on a podcast recording mm-hmm. day. And Gruet, they're at, they're mm-hmm. out of New Mexico, correct? That's right, French family. Right. You know, very fascinating story. Like the 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 original proprietor, you know, from the Champagne region, decided that he was going to uproot his family and move them to New Mexico, and just like <laughs> offloaded his kids on these, you know, um, these farms in the middle of the desert. It's like, yeah, go make it happen. <laughs> See what you can do with these, uh, yeah, with these five magic beans. They, they literally, yeah. Thank, thank goodness they didn't have any limiting beliefs. They, right. they believed that they could make great. Great champagne style wine, and sure, they sure did. They sure so, did. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's delightful. And the price point for a Gruet is. I mean, about- this here's the thing this bottle's pretty typically 25 bucks on oh. any given day. Okay. But I happen to have found a resource here in town in St. Louis that you can get it for 13 Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pretty amazing, huh? Yeah, I think you may have to reveal that resource. That is Vincent's. <laughs> okay. It's right around the corner. Vincent's it's market. It's in Soulard. It's this wonderful old school market, multi-generations deep. Um, it's so charming. You walk in and they're playing like 1920s jazz. And I mean, it's just wonderful. The, the venue originally was, I think, a theater and has just uh, so it has historic building in town, and uh, it's been a market for uh, two or three generations nice. now. And nice. I, and very wonderfully curated items. Like one of my favorite staples I get there is this truffle mustard. It's so mm. good. Mm. And yeah, they're just yeah. it's not big, but. What it, they do is it, right. It is not fancy on the outside. No, and so nor on the inside. But you, it's you know just, you're at the right place if yeah. it's this white building with a big Vincent's across. Mm-hmm. And you know it's, you're at the right place in the studio. Yeah, but wow, I'm such a fan. Yeah, well, I'm very $13 Gruet. Let's go for it, man. <laughs> Cases, load me up. Emily's going to back the car up. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. That's right. If only had, mm. I had my uh, golf cart. Well, in time. Mm. Yeah. In time. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, we'll have your golf. I'll card. manifest it. I wonder how many other communities out there. One of the things in St. Louis, and I know uh, Bridget, you live in Jefferson County, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, two counties over from St. Louis, but not too far. Not too far. 25, 40 minutes yeah, drive about, about to, 40 minutes. to the studio. But um, in St. Louis City, and I don't know necessarily know out in the county. But uh, there are several neighborhoods where you have your car, maybe your two cars if you're coupled up or something, and your golf cart. And oh, yeah. you get around at the, your, your Saturday, Sunday, sometimes you know, during the week, you just tool it's around on your golf cart. It's that way in the city. Cart. Well, there's neighborhoods in the city that do that. Not yes. all the neighborhoods. I mean, the golf carts came to Holly Hills Within the last year and a half. Oh, they well, weren't Sular, there before. Benton Park, where we are. This the Hill is, has them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but I just wonder if, thing. If, there are other, if there are other communities out there that have, you know, neighborhoods that everybody, that's not a, not on a golf course. I mean, oh, I totally yeah. understand, you know, when you're on a, in a golf course community, these neighborhoods are not golf course communities. They are just city neighborhoods with uh, yeah. lots of lots of folks tooling around their golf carts. It's pretty fun. I mean, it looks like fun. I can only dream about it right now. Yeah, I've ridden in a friend of mine's and it is a lot of fun. Yeah. It is a lot of fun. I've thought about getting one myself, but then like... How many how many modes of transportation do I really need? <laughs> <laughs> I got bicycles, I got scooters, I've mm-hmm. got cars, I've you got You just my need feet. a horse and a, and a cart. <laughs> you know, a go cart. Come and you're to really Jefferson County and you'll need a tractor. Oh. <laughs> my husband and our neighbor friend, they 
they uh, put around to one another's properties on tractors. On so. tractors. <laughs> wow. Like a lawn tractor or like a farming tractor tractor? A big tractor. Oh. Now, do you actually farm or you just have the tractor? <laughs> no, I prefer heels. My husband likes to get dirty. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, we have that stuff. So, And our neighbor has um, lots of cows, and the bull tries to attack our our company vehicles when we drive home. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. It's cute, yeah. So just lots of land. You know, we live across the street from a lake, and it's just private lots and ride around on tractors. Oh, my gosh. So that would be their version of our golf carts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go Jefferson County. (laughs) (laughs) Just to represent. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, Bridget, um, what sort of led you to this path of wanting to coach, wanting to, and ultimately, you know, uh, developing this program? But you had... um, um, a for, you, you had a life before you became a, a coach. You know, you had some occupations and professions. Um, you know, so how did you, like, give us your give us your little life story. Oh, well. Um, the, the best parts. Yeah. <laughs> that you want to share. <laughs> so, you know, I, I will tell you, because I, I look at patterns of behaviors as okay. part of my responsibility as a life coach. Okay. And one of the things that I noticed was I was trying to look at the patterns of behavior um, in comparison to lifestyles, you know, like um, those that are born with a silver spoon in their mouth, do they have less stress than those who were born, you know, let's say in in a less pleasant environment, you know, maybe there's um, some abuse or neglect or different things going on. And so... Um, I can tell you after working with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of individuals that it doesn't matter if it's if it's a silver spoon or if it's abuse or neglect, we all have pressures mm-hmm. and we can all learn how to reduce those pressures. Our society teaches us to increase those pressures a lot of times through mm-hmm. expectations and the way we're teaching, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I'm teaching you to do what's correct if, if I'm your mentor, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's that's not necessarily helpful because then I'm taking away your authenticity. So what, what I think what led down this path for me ultimately was I started um, out of college, uh, office systems and technologies degree, I started working with business owners and was doing some of the just the internal office work, office management, you know, restructuring some things, um, doing some HR work. And and that was great. Um, at the time, we were moving from DOS programs to Windows. <laughs> when I went to college <laughs> the first time, it was DOS. Mm-hmm. And so I remember going into these companies and, you know, we were, we were rewriting programs and doing different things like that. And then Maybe that process took about 10 or 15 years. And then now everyone has Windows and we have the software programs and, you know, we don't necessarily have to write all of that. Um, And I noticed that it really wasn't the programs or the lack thereof that was the problem. It was us not innovating, not creating, not hearing one another. There were more soft skills, so mm-hmm. you can have wonderful programs, but if the people aren't bought into it. And so I was having companies um, frequently have me come in and they wanted me to fix mm. their employees. Mm. <laughs> and so I turned down multiple organizations because it starts from the top. And if the owner or the top CEOs are not going to participate and grow and develop with the organizations, then I'm out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And so what I started doing was changing the focus on process to be more people-oriented. Because when people are healthy and whole, they'll create the processes that they want and that will serve them in their organization. So that's the objective now. Instead of let's create these processes and let's teach people these processes, let's just encourage people one another to be healthy and whole and complete and and voice our our thoughts to one another safely and connect with one another because then we can bring our perspectives together and create things that never existed before the third alternative is one of my favorite books it's it's an old book but it's great because if you have 
I have a perspective and you have a perspective, Michelle, and they're two different perspectives. But when you put them together, they create something completely Mm. new Mm -hmm. that's never existed before. How exciting is that? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the shift for me. Let's move from process to people. Let's facilitate healthy development in individuals and they will create the programs that work for you. So uh, I have a few thoughts here that I want to put out there. I absolutely love the healthy people will create, give people the room to to do what they need to do that they will create, right? Um, as opposed to the 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 prior way or the 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 predominant business model of follow these steps and I don't want to hear about it if there's a problem, you know, and people just can't wait to leave and go home, stuff like that. And we're kind of in a shift right now in our current cultural climate with the the uh, you know you hear that oh nobody's gonna nobody wants nobody's coming to work because they're getting too mm-hmm. they're getting too much um, uh, unemployment benefits they don't want to come to work right I heard that a lot on my vacation with the people that I met but then you also hear somebody say well I actually now have time because I can have some you know I'm getting this unemployment. And I can find a better job that suits me better. But there is also, like, I I completely met a few people that had no intention of finding a job. But I love the idea of making room for authenticity and happiness and finding the right thing. And there's always going to be somebody that's going to mm-hmm. take advantage of whatever system there is. But I find it interesting how you have – how – the the business community the political leaders are like we're going to take away that we're going to we're we not going to give them the federal money anymore so they make them go to work and then i heard one um uh somebody say that uh, that the president said well if they get offered a job and they don't take it then they're going to lose they're going to lose their unemployment. unemployment yeah and that doesn't give people choice yeah it doesn't that's give true. people choice and yeah. i think you shouldn't have to accept a job that's not right for you and we have, and currently we've created a little system through the through yeah. the American Relief Plan jobs, whatever it's called. But we've created a bit of a system that has given some people some breathing room to make those choices that are better for them, you know. Instead, and then some of the business having to meet the market and come up on their wages so that they can actually, you know, uh, attract people to come work for them. So, I had, I, but I had that. shouldn't there just as a side note here, thinking about this, like I'm all like I'm all on board, like everybody living their authentic life, and and I mean I I feel so blessed that in the last year I've been able to find this position in my career that is so authentically me. Right, I right. Feel it. I love it so so much. I want everybody to have that because they can really contribute more and blossom and all the people around them can as well, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I get that. Um, I'm wondering if there's some sort of way though, that in this idea of, I, I see both sides of the conversation that you were talking about. So is there a way to say like, okay, if you're not gonna take the job, you know, can you at least demonstrate that you're trying to figure out what that right job is? Is it by taking a class? Is it creative writing? Is it doing something that's helping you work towards a path versus I'm going to sit in my pool and drink some Gruet champagne? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah well, again, <laughs> you know, but like, to go back to what Bridget said earlier, that would be like our expectations of what we think they should be doing. And and I'm just throwing that as an idea. Like right. it's a are you working towards something? It, you know, if 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 our government is willing to pri- provide pay until somebody finds the right job, but they're like, ooh, but if you turn a job down, I don't know. Is there a way to say, like, look, we just want to make sure that you are doing things that are helping you pursue your passion, like t- again take some classes, read some books. We have some mentors. We have some coaches. We have some, just something, something that fosters personal growth. My husband and I, um, we own another company and 
we have an incredible relationship with, uh, we have uh, three people on our staff and um, our schedules are very flexible and we know what motivates each one of our employees and we communicate with them. And if they want to be off next Thursday, we don't schedule work for them next Thursday. Sure. Um, we just communicate. We say, what what will work for you? I think the fear is that we're writing all of these policies and, and attempting to control. And that's, that's doing the opposite of what we want it mm. to do. Mm-hmm. Because in, in our organization, and it's a small business, um, but it works because we communicate. And we yeah. listen to one another. And if I have a business that that I can call my employee and say, this is where we are right now. And we really um, could need you. And this is why we need you. And what do you think? What are your thoughts? What would work for you? Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to come to work sure. in an environment at a job that they enjoy with staff members that they enjoy? Mm-hmm. Um, So I think that's, I can't do anything about worldwide problems, but I can Mm -hmm. do something on my block. And I do. Yeah. Well, what I I was going to get to with our our segue was what you were describing in um, empowering people uh, and and, and so they can can be creative and then uh, is how... How much when you're working with a, a, a ah, here I go. Prior, you worked with businesses on their people, right? But now it seems like you've made a shift and you want to work on people just on for themselves, not because this business person, the CEO, has decided that his people need to be fixed, fixed. <laughs> um, or her people need to be fixed or whatever. But like, how how much do you feel or how? Maybe in the beginning, did you feel like you were talking into like a vacuum and then over time that vacuum is like more and more people are like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think um, I think each generation we're going, oh, this upcoming generation. Oh, my goodness. This, uh, well, one of the things that I see with the upcoming generation is they're saying, I want to work more authentically. Yeah, I you admire know, that a lot. I want to find joy in what I do. And I want to do it efficiently so that I can go do other things that I enjoy too, because work-life balance is not an option. I mean, it, it, it is, it is the demand. I love so much that they see that as an option. Well, it is, they're creating it. Yeah. And, and I think they're, you know, I, I say there, I don't, I don't know who there is. I'm not really for labeling too much, but, um, when you think about generations, um, I mean, my children have taught me so much. Like, mm-hmm. why does it have to be that way? Great question. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Who <And> said? <laughs> exactly. And then and sometimes what all we need is to be asked that question for us to go, you're right. It doesn't have to be that way. And I have bought into that system and I have, you know, contributed. You know, I've, I've just gone right along in my merry, uncomfortable way in some, you know, sometimes. Um, like little robots. Like little robots, and and unfortunately, that is sort of like um, I would still say that that is a, a higher expectation of people. You know, you are a small business. I would say maybe to that's not the norm. I would because I had an experience with a friend who had a, has a job and was working for this company and uh, started working there, and they're paying a, you know, like twelve fifty an hour. But they couldn't, they needed to hire more like this person, more drivers, and they couldn't find anybody who was willing to work for 12, 15 hours. So they said, okay, we're, we're going to, we had to raise our, our pay to 15. You're going to get pay, paid 15 an hour now. But now we expect you to, mm-hmm. you can't wear those, those uh, sweatpants anymore. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, it's almost like, Mm -hmm. look, we are giving you more money and now we own more of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Expectations lead to control. Control never works. That's why policies don't work. It's an attempt to control. And, And you're never going to control across the board because everything is based on context. Everything. Oh, yeah. There you go. Full circle. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, how long has it taken you to get this book 
written, produced, rewritten, like like you know, chapters yeah. in, chapters out. Tell us a little bit about about your experience with it. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the fourth book within I'd say fourteen years that I have written. Okay. So, and this particular book, The BS of Better, is the first book that I'm publishing in a series of books. Okay. And the series is Reducing Life's Pressures. Go yes. figure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and and one way to reduce life's pressures, obviously, is to pay attention to the language that we're using that represents the mindsets that, you know, our behaviors and our thoughts are reflections of these beliefs, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's the first book in the series. I decided to go ahead and, and do that one. I think this took about 11 months, maybe. Nice. Um, and I started out as the Lone Ranger. And um, I just have found out that uh, it's, it is beneficial to have support. Yeah. Very beneficial to have support. And um, I have paid for a lot of support. I've, I've, you know, invested, collected my pennies, there and I've go. invested. Yes, an alternative word. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Thank you for that. And it has been a tremendous investment, and the support has just been phenomenal. And had I surrounded myself with that support system 14 years ago with the first mm-hmm. book, yeah. It would probably be published today. So that was part of my yeah. maturing, you nice. know, as an author and as a professional. So, and I'm excited that this is the place because I just feel myself when I look in the mirror. I worked through the BS of Better program multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's probably an ongoing thing just because yes. you're at a stage right now where you feel you're through it. Like, you know, we're always getting peripheral expectations tossed upon us. So just being aware of that and navigating that is an ongoing effort. It is. And and that's part of the process. And that's the excitement of it. Like, this is my journey and it's never ending. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, I mean, yeah. it's just beautiful. I just get to keep going and exploring. And one of the things I talk about in the BS of Better program is this um, vertical versus horizontal progression. And in our world and in, in our society in the States, we're taught climb the ladder, yeah. climb the mm-hmm. ladder. Well, doesn't matter who you step on, whose shoulders you step on to get up the ladder. You just climb that ladder. Yeah. Well, and if you think about that, you know, let's say we have three ladders here. Well, there's somebody closer to the top up here, and then there's somebody in the middle here, which is usually how where we see ourselves, and there's somebody way down here. So we're here and we're going, oh, well, I'm not as bad as this person down here, but I don't know if I can ever be up there, right? So we're we're comparing one another, you know, and, and the idea is well, where do you go when you reach the top? Well, I'll tell you where you go when you reach the top. This there's this theory, this adaptation level phenomenon that says, well, you, you, your desire is to reach the top so you get there and then you're happy for maybe two or three seconds and now what? Mm-hmm. Because your new level becomes your new norm and we're never satisfied. Our human nature is not satisfied. Right. So the objective is being satisfied right here in this moment and stepping off the ladder because in horizontal progression... And this is just something that I've coined years ago. I've been using with my clients. Get off the ladder. If you look horizontally, we might go over here and do something for a little while and explore. Mm. And we might go, oh, that worked for a while. And now I think I'm going to explore something else. So I'm going to move in a different Mm -hmm. direction. And we're all just really moving in different directions. And you have endless opportunities on a horizontal playing field. And we're not comparing anyone to anyone. I mean, isn't that And you're growing beautiful? your skill sets. And, and if you yeah. fall from a horizontal ladder, you're not going to hurt yourself. Yeah. And think of the support that's there with yeah. you. And and that's I'm not any worse than this person that's up there or any less, you know, more than that, this person that's down there. So, yeah. well, I wanted to ask you um, when you said, you know, uh, human beings are not satisfied. It's, you know, it's our human nature not to be satisfied. Well, I would like to maybe challenge that. Do you think... We have been indoctrinated and ingrained to think that we're not sad, that we can't be satisfied. I think so, because who defines what is satisfactory? Yeah, because if you if you're telling people to be satisfied in the moment, we can learn to do that. Then we can human beings can be satisfied. And um, but if we believe because that's what they told us that we can't be, then 
Um, but there is the quest for growth and evolution, personal growth and evolution. Right? Yeah, I didn't. I don't. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't equate personal growth and evolution with not being satisfied. satisfied. Okay. Yeah. But okay. I see where you, I see yeah. where those two could um, yeah, be can, together. Sure, because you you want to learn more. You're not satisfied with the, your current state of knowledge, so you seek out. You know that right. totally makes sense. I was thinking more of like I don't um you know I, I don't like my house. I don't I, my okay. car needs to be better. I I I, I need to be thinner. I, Measuring I need, yourself against others, usually. And we do it against this. ourselves. We do, but would it? Too. Would those mm. uh, measurements normally be like on an external characteristic, or do we do we challenge it on an intrinsic level? I don't know. It's both, but it, everything starts intrinsically. Everything mm. does, and so I can't give you what I don't have. If I don't have self respect, do you think I'm going to respect you? Mm. Probably, Fair not. Enough. probably not. Probably yeah. not. So, and I think the idea of you know. If you put two and two together, what you all were saying, if if we if I'm exploring in this area and I say, oh, I, I would like to mature in this area, right? I not be better or whatever. There's just something else I'd like to know a little bit. It doesn't mean that right here where I am on this horizontal playing field is bad. Doesn't mean that it isn't working. Doesn't mean that it it's not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, wow, this is good. This was yeah. a great experience. This experience really sucked and it was good because now I know whatever. Yeah. And I think I'm going to go in that direction. This is good too, right? We don't have to say good, better, best. It's not best over there. Yeah. Because even when you get to best, adaptation level phenomenon says no, it's, it's not going to be best forever, mm-hmm. only for a few seconds probably. And yeah. and what I'm hearing is, is that we have... Um, are used to an either or mm-hmm. scenario. I can be happy here, but I'm curious about that area over there, but I, I must mean I'm gonna have to leave this here too. Like I have to leave this behind to have a little bit of that over there as opposed to like, well, you don't, you don't, you just shift yourself towards what you're doing. Um, you know, I think we are taught that there's a, a right way and a wrong way, and it, it's good or it's bad. And really, at any given moment, you can step outside your door and have a thousand different directions that you could take. And usually, what happens is we try to question them depending on your personality style. You know, some people uh, worry infested language is one of the one of the languages we cover in the BS a Better program. But if, if you think about, I'm, I have all these options and all these choices to explore. I want to choose the right one. What, you know, what if I choose the wrong one? And then this is what happens inevitably. We choose a path that we think is going to be of least resistance or yield the highest return. Inevitably, we take that path and we're go- we experience a challenge. And when we experience that challenge, what happens in that moment? We go, oh, I took the wrong way. I took yeah, the- you <laughs> run away. And you know what? I should have gone yeah. the other way. If you would have chosen the other 999 paths, you would have ran into a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not taught that. No, and I, 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 I sometimes feel like that whole mindset of I need to choose the right one. What if... What if I what if I choose wrong? It's almost like you only have this one shot, and and if you fail the quiz, you're not going to get to retake it. You know, like like some of those those um, uh, uh, school behaviors. You know, uh, so you want to make you want to make sure that oh, I I can't blow it because I I I only have this shot. Tra- this shot when I'm hearing you say, and I know we've had these conversations before. Is like you can. You can do multiple things. It isn't just one shot. And maybe that one shot at whatever it is you're going after actually just kind of needs to be like, you know, massaged and it's a better shot for you. If, if you miss that shot, assuredly the universe isn't going to forget about you. Mm. I, so I love that quote. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know if um, I don't, I mean, that just popped into my head, but what do we think is going to happen right. if, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously we have to make mistakes because that's one of the great teachers learn. of life. Yeah. 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 But our, but I, I would say that in our society, I'm speaking, you know, in a generic American society, mistakes are not, not tolerated as well as they should be. 
we're we're taught to be afraid of our mistakes. Like collectively, and that leads us for room for growth and like you know participating in your program, reading your book, um, changing the languages so that you know that well this my mistake is a learning learning opportunity. It's not a you know my mistake isn't isn't a something isn't going to cause somebody else to die because I chose this path uh, for myself. Um, if you remove failure and mistakes from life, you remove every option and opportunity. It, it's impossible. Yeah. Every option and opportunity comes with mistakes and it's going to come with challenges. It's, it's the mindsets that we choose along those, the, the course that can make it yeah. easier or less difficult. Yeah. What has been a um, one of your and it can be your yourself or one of the clients or um, in your in your your history with working with people has been like a, a a rewarding challenge turned into an opportunity like an example of that shift that you saw or felt I I changed this mindset from that the limiting language and, and I, and I saw it happen or I felt it happen. Do you have um, somebody or someone or an experience in mind? Um, I mean, I can give you an experience for myself. Okay. Um, so I, I came from um, a world of severe dysfunction. So my mother was mentally ill. And so when I started having my children, I knew that I didn't know how to be a mommy Mm-hmm. And so I remember thinking, I, I've got to learn this, right? So mm-hmm. somebody teach me. And so I started studying special education and I went to UMSOL and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I studied child development. And and so I, I grew there and I learned there and I kept thinking, I want to be the best mommy ever. And every night I laid my head down thinking, you're such a failure. <laughs> you know, you're not, oh my gosh. You know, but, um, and I think a lot of mothers, you know, do, probably feel that way to some degree. Um, But I remember just in my 20s, early 30s, feeling like if I could just learn this, then I can do this, if I could just learn that. And so I I went to college and I graduated with this degree and went to college again. And I kept thinking if I could learn enough, you Mm -hmm. know, and then I thought, oh, well, I'm, you know, I, I must get a psychology degree. So I went to Central Methodist University and I graduated with that degree. And, um, None of that. I never got enough knowledge. <laughs> I just got more stuff. Experience, to sort right? You just need experience. Yes. And I think the beautiful part was there wasn't anything that I needed beyond that moment other than looking in the mirror and mm-hmm. loving myself. So I'm thankful that I have the education that I have. Did it equip me to sit here with you ladies today and see the beauty in you as individual women? that are different from me, no, no college education gave that to me. The ability to look in the mirror and say, Bridget, you're invaluable. You, um, you know, we try so hard to be enough. If you think about the word enough, do you know what that even means? Have you ever looked it up? The, like the history of the word? The word enough? I've not, no. Satisfactory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't that great? Yeah, <gasps> Let's right. Let's strive to I be enough. I just want to be enough. <laughs> Yeah. So if you really think about us as human beings, we are so much more than enough. Like we are so more than enough. Each and every one of us. Yes. Every individual that has life. Mm -hmm. So we are so much more than enough that you can't describe us. We are indescribable. And here's what I love about that. You can't measure what you can't describe. Nice. We're indescribable. We are immeasurable. And because I acknowledge that in myself, when I sit in front of you two, that's what I see. Yeah. I, I don't see anything different. I, there's no comparison. You know, there's no comparative language. There's sure. no judgmental language. If you say something that doesn't resonate with my values, what, what does that matter to me? Right. You're, you're beautiful. You're invaluable. You're immeasurable. I, I can't put a label on you, but it's because I took the label off myself. It starts in the mirror. That's the education that sparked my growth. Mm. Yeah, I think that's tremendously 
beautiful and insightful. And thank you so much for being here today to give us a glimpse into this philosophy that you that you have that I think will be just a tremendous Uh, gift. Indescribable and immeasurable to to (laughs) all of our listeners. And so where can they find out um, about your program? Where can they get the book? Um, Because I know you said it's going to be released uh, shortly after this podcast episode is released. Yeah, I think um, so. The marketing team is supporting me with that because I'm not very good at selling stuff. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. But um, so I do have a website that will be launched next week, and they can buy it on Amazon um, or from the website, and that's www.bridgetrene.com. And my name is spelled very different. So, um, like Brigitte, like Brigitte yes. Bardot. Brigitte you know. Renee is my name. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Bridgette Renee we'll have, for short. We'll yes. have that information we'll in, have our in our show notes yeah. for sure we'll and, on, and on our, um, our blog post as well. But, uh, Bridget, it was absolutely so much, so much, so pleasurable talking Insightful, with you today. delightful, wonderful. Yeah, everything. We really thank you for coming to the studio. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank yeah. you, Michelle and Emily. I really yeah. appreciate it. Best wishes yeah. to you and your new venture, your book. Best thank wishes. You. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs>